I'm excited about uh, today's service because uh, the Cubs won the World Series, which means that Jesus is very close to coming back. Anything is now possible in the world after 108 years of fruitless seasons. Game seven was like it was just an act of worship and intercession the whole way through. <laughs> Extraordinary events. It's a wonderful time to be alive, people. And in, I would say, at least 50% of the churches across the nation today, uh, the pastor is preaching about the Cubs. Uh, but we're not going to do that. Just so you know. We're going stick, to stick to... The main and the plain. Let's take on the focus. Father, I do pray that your presence would be with us this morning, and I pray that you would change us all a little bit, and I pray that you would empower us with the things that we need to be proper kingdom ministers this week. I pray, Lord, that the hurting would be healed. I pray, Lord, that the directionless would be guided. I pray that the lonely would be knit in, uh, and that the grieving would receive their joy in Jesus' name. Here's me. I want to live life deeply. I want to live life broadly and powerfully. I want my life to mean something. I want to matter. Give me an amen if you're with me. I want to love and I want to be loved powerfully. That's me. I want to dream well and I want to do what I dream. For Pete's sake. That's me. And uh, I've got one shot in this life. I'm going to aim carefully and I'm going to take it for all that I'm worth. How about you guys? There will be no, oh, it would have been great if I had, there will be none of that in my life. There will be none of that in my life. I'm going to try the first time. I might fail, but there is nothing in the world that will keep me from trying what I should do. There will be no, oh, it would be great if only I had, there will be none of that in my life. Are you with me on that one? I am a machine of follow-through. That's me. I am a machine of follow-through. Sure, I have, I have weaknesses. Gasp. I have weaknesses. No, I do, seriously. I have, I have my struggles, but I am intent. Right? I'm focused. I'm on this thing called life. I am concentrated because I know in my purpose lies my power, and I will be extremely purposeful, and therefore I will be extremely powerful in the world. You can bank on that. I am a machine of follow-through. Now, when I say I'm a machine of follow-through, I don't mean that I'm a robot. I don't mean that, contrary to what some of you might expect. This machine has a soul. I am a soul machine. Yeah, my life, my life is the machine that my soul cries out for. Does that make sense? My life is the machine that my soul cries out for because it's working in a way that satisfies the God-given yearnings of my soul, my yearnings of purpose. And I work hard so that my soul can be what God made it to be. It can soar like God intends for it to soar. That's why I'm a machine of follow-through. Now, what am I doing here? What am I giving you by going through that little 
rap. Inspiration? Yeah? What's that? A one-sentence testimony? That would be one sentence if it included lots of semicolons. What am I up to? Well, let's do our warm-ups. Everybody roll your shoulders. Everybody give a high five to the person next to you. And let's start with some easy fill-in-the-blanks this morning, shall we? Fill in the blank. Always be Always be discipling. Good, you got that one. Here's one that's a little trickier. Discipleship is follow through. Discipleship is following through. All right, we sucked at that one, so everybody repeat after me. Discipleship is Yes. I like the gerund form. Discipleship is following through. But I will accept discipleship is follow through. Everybody do this. That's a good warm-up. Keep your hands up. I'm going to ask you a question. Respond. Can you or can't you? That was not a yes or no question. I'm going to try that one more time. Everybody go like this. All right. Is the coffee ministry working this morning? We're up and running, right? Everybody go like this. Can you or can't you? Can. Can or no can? I'm just checking. All right. Uh, more warm-ups. Is it possible to minister with just your presence? Yes? Who can demonstrate? Who has a ministering presence this morning? Come on, don't forget this. Can or, or no can? Who can minister with just your presence? Who can do that? Yeah? Is that a hand, Carl? All right, come up and demonstrate. Carl's going to come up and demonstrate, ministering with his presence. Come on. All right. There's you. There's me. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, that's my buddy. All right. Who else? Who else can minister with just their presence? Come on, guys. Come on. This is, this is Blue Water Mission here. Who else can minister with just their presence? Nope. Erica, come on. She's creative. Sorry. Brilliant. Thank you. I'll accept both of those. You pass. You may sit in the front row next week. Uh, pop quiz question. What's the most contagious thing about you? Men that were at the men's breakfast yesterday, you don't get to answer. As uh, you already know some of these questions. What's the most contagious thing about you? Smile. Your smile. Rochelle, stand up and smile at the people. Because this is Rochelle's smile. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sure. All right. I'll accept that. All right. In general, let's continue the question. What, what's the most contagious thing about, about you, do you think? Your friendliness? Your welcome, welcoming? Is, it, is this the good thing or the bad thing about me, my wife asks. Honey, you only have good things. 
either. You know, it could be good or bad. We would like to be a good contagion, but maybe we're a bad contagion. What's, but what's the thing about you that spreads most easily, do you think? Manna? Your friendliness. This is true. You love people. Yeah, Nana has a sphere of love around her, that's for sure. Any other, any other guesses? All of these are good answers. On your bad days, it's anxiety. Yeah, way in the back, Kel? Energy, your energy. Yeah. Some. Uh, the most contagious thing about you generally, the most contagious thing about us all, I think, is our attitude. The most contagious thing in your life, the thing that you spread mostly, usually without even thinking about it, is your attitude. Uh, and that's kind of what we're talking uh, about today. You know what I mean about attitude? Uh, technically, I mean, attitude is really a technical word. We use it kind of generally in life. But, but attitude means kind of angle of approach. When pilots talk about the attitude of their plane, you know, their flight attitude, it's the angle at which they are approaching something or coming into something. And, and your attitude is your angle to things in life. It's your angle to approach things or your approach to things. You can use phrases like that to understand it. Uh, your approach to things, and it's your angle of approach to life. That's your attitude. Uh, or in some self-help circles, it's called your state. What state are you in when you approach something? You know, Are you in the friendly state? Are you in the anxious state? Are you in the smiling state? Uh, this all, I think, kind of goes to attitude. It reflects a certain approach, a certain angle of approach that you have to things. And I think our attitude is our most contagious thing about us. Uh, people might not know what you think. People might not know what you believe. People might not know what you feel about important things, but everybody almost automatically knows what your attitude is in any given moment. When you walk into the office on Monday morning, when you walk into the classroom, when you, when you, uh, you know, walk into your house, uh, and are present there with your family, everybody almost automatically knows what your attitude is. How? How is that possible? Well, it's because we communicate attitude in, you know, dozens of different ways, don't we? Uh, we can do it with a smile. We can do it with motion. We can do it with, with a hug. We can do it with posture. We can do it dozens of different ways. We can do it with how we sit. Uh, we can do it with behaviors, just an infinite number of behaviors, because our behaviors signal things like nothing else, way better than our words uh, or other forms of communication. You communicate attitude almost all the time, and that's one of the reasons that your attitude is the most contagious thing about you. You know, tone, body language, it expresses your angle to things. Uh, it is one of the first categorizations that people make about you in the world. Before they understand anything else about you, they have categorized your attitude. Because basically that's how we negotiate interactions with people. We negotiate around our respective attitudes. Now attitude, the thing is, attitude is the, is the hardest thing to teach. And it's the easiest thing to catch. In a group like Blue Water, it's really hard to teach attitude. It's really hard to teach good attitude. But it's really, really easy to catch good attitude. 
You know, you have some crazy fool go like this in front of the congregation. You're kind of swept up in it. And probably you did not come to church today with the expectation that you would be doing the wave. Uh, But most of you did it, unless this was your attitude. But, you know, you were doing stuff like this. And by doing these exercises, your mood changed, probably. You caught it. You couldn't help but catch it. You couldn't help but catch energy from me as I ranted at the beginning of the sermon. It's the hardest thing to teach, attitude. But it's the easiest thing in the world to catch. Which is why it spreads so easily. And why it's the most contagious thing uh, about you. Uh, Your attitude, therefore, is super influential in the world. It's the most influential part of you. I think, in most circumstances, uh, anyway. Nothing can brighten up a a group like a powerful smile. Uh, Nothing can drag down a group like a bad attitude, a bad apple at the meeting. Yeah, can I get an amen? Uh, And the most powerful, the, the more powerful the person and the attitude is, you know, obviously, the more influence, the more lasting influence that person is going to have. Here's a money question. What determines your attitude? During your day, what determines your attitude? Your angle of approach to things. Hopefully, not your feelings. Hopefully, not your mood. One would not want mood to determine life approach. And for those of us who are a little moodier, all the more so. Let me hear a big amen about this. Your feelings, your moods should not determine your attitude, your angle of approach to things. Amen. If anything in life is spiritual, if any practice in your life is spiritual, I think attitude is. I think it is the most spiritual of our broadcasts because it transcends what we feel. It can transcend what we think. It can transcend how people behave. It comes from a spiritual place. Or at least it should, right? If anything, attitude is, it doesn't come from feelings. It's the thing that helps us control, shape, and overcome feelings when necessary. And by being contagious, your attitude is the thing about you that helps people around you control, shape, and overcome bad feelings or bad thinking when they need to overcome those things. And really, if you think about it, faith is an attitude. Faith is attitude. Faith is the angle of approach that you take to things. Faith, I don't think, is a belief set. I don't, I don't think faith is best defined by examining the propositions in which you believe. I think faith is best defined by the attitude that you bring to things. Hopefully that attitude reflects your set of beliefs, and hopefully your set of beliefs are good, but the beliefs by themselves don't really count much for faith. Or you would say it was dead faith. If what you believe does not manifest in your attitude, then, you know, Jesus and Satan believe the same things, essentially. Both Jesus and Satan believe that there is a God. Both Jesus and Satan understand who Jesus is and what Jesus' role is in the universe. 
Both Jesus and Satan by this point, I think, know how this story ends. But their attitudes are starkly different. Their angle of approach to the reality, which they both pretty much understand, is radically different. Faith is mostly attitude, or it says in the book of James, even the, devil, even the devils believe in the one true God, and it makes them shudder, or it freaks them out, or it causes them great anxiety, depending on how you translate uh, the Greek. Like, oh yeah, I mean, the devils know. I think they, they may well understand things better than we do. They may well understand scripture better than we do, but they do not respond with an attitude of faith. They respond with an attitude of freak out an attitude of anxiety, and an attitude of fear. And we go through life with that same sort of thing happening. You know, some traumatic event happens or some exciting event happens, you know. We respond to it with an angle of faith or we respond to it with an angle of fear. And more than anything else, I think that defines us and it defines what we spread in the world. It defines the contagion that we release in the world. Uh, faith, you might say, is an attitude that says, well, this is worth doing. You're worth loving. It's worth it. More than anything else, I think faith says that. It's like, oh, this is awesome. I can do something with this. Or trying is worth it. Something like that. And the opposite of faith or fear, anxiety, doubt, says just the opposite. Oh, this isn't worth it. I can't do anything with this. I shouldn't try to do anything with this. It's all angle. Big question of the day. What kind of attitude do you want to spread in the world? How exactly would you define it? Your attitude is the most contagious thing about you. Whether it be a good attitude or a bad attitude, you will spread it. Especially you guys. You know why? Because the Spirit is with you. You're salt and light. I mean, you flavor and illuminate things even when you don't think you're doing it. You know? People are looking at you. If you've got any of the Spirit in you at all, People are noticing. Even if they don't know what they're noticing, they're noticing it. Right? You're going to spread your attitude. You're a powerful, purpose-based person. What kind of attitude do you want to spread? Super important question. Remember that it's contagious. You're going to spread something in terms of your attitude. Well, here, here's what I think. Here's how I think through that question. Everyone in the world feels disempowered. Have you noticed this? Everyone in the world is afraid, basically. And everyone in the world feels disempowered in life, at least a lot of the time. Many people, I would say, are creative geniuses at feeling disempowered. You know, they're perfect, perfectly capable of inventing ways to ensure that they stay disempowered. Uh, because they're so fear-dominated. That's a comforting thing for them to do. They foment crises or they invent emotional structures that prevent them from anything but feeling disempowered. But even normal people, you know, healthy people, uh, feel disempowered a, a lot of the time. For many people, life is a collection of two statements, T-O-O -O statements. Uh, life is two Busy, hard, there you go. Uh, a couple of the, the major ones right there. Life is too busy, life is too hard, life is too unfair, life is too lonely, life is, is too late, life is too little, little or too meager, 
life is just too much right now. Oh, I mean, that's, that's a huge one, right? Well, yes, yes, I agree. Yes, I ought to do that. Yes, it would be wonderful if, but life is just too much right now. Cop out, cop out, cop out. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying life will forever be too much because then I'd have to deal with reality. So I'm just going to say it's too much right now, so I'm going to delay thinking about it too hard. Life is just too much right now. Attitude of disempowerment right there. In life, it's easy to feel, it's easy to believe in what's wrong. It's really easy to believe in what's missing in life. Super easy to believe in what's wrong. And at this moment, we could insert a discussion of the national election, but I'm not going to do that. You see a lot of our leaders talking, you know, believing firmly in what's wrong and trying to get you to believe in the same thing. It's a little harder. It's a little more refined. It takes more power to be empowering. Um, people fail to do, sometimes we fail to do what we should in life because things are just too fill in the blank. Two statements. Two statements. What people need, I think is an attitude of power, is a power attitude. And more than any other attitude, that's the one that I want to spread. I want to spread a power attitude. I want that to be my contagion in the world. When you have an attitude of power, when you move in a, in a spirit of power, you might say, uh, a spirit of power and empowerment to other people, that spreads like wildfire. That is so incredibly contagious because people's need is so great. Everybody feels disempowered. If I create the knack for making people feel powered, I will be a walking, talking revolution. That's what I want to be. That's going to be the contagion that I spread. Um, if you move in an attitude of disempowerment, then you're going to make people feel, you know, Pointless. You're going to play into all of their nonsense, which is a great way to bond with people socially. What do you do when you bond socially? You get together and you have a complaint session. I would call it something else, but my daughter's sitting in the uh, congregation today. Um, you know, you complain about things and you identify with each other in that. Um, spread disempowerment. But I, I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to spread an attitude of, of, of empowerment. An attitude of disempowerment leads to purpose, purposelessness. It leads us to miss opportunities. If life is just two, then you're going to miss a lot of salt and light opportunities. You're going to miss out on a lot of purpose opportunities. And you know what, a, you know what an attitude of disempowerment gets you? It gets you sin. I think more often than not, sin comes from our attitude of disempowerment, you know. Um, the original lie in the Garden of Eden had to do with power and disempowerment. You know the story? Uh, there's a tree. Adam and Eve aren't supposed to eat from it. So the deceiver comes along and says to Eve, hey, check out that fruit. Mmm, looking pretty good. And Eve said, no, God tells us, you know, not to eat of it because it's, it's deadly, it's going to uh, do destructive things. And then the, the deceiver says to Eve, no, 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 God knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll become powerful like he is. 
That's why he doesn't want you to eat it. In other words, the original lie was God's into disempowering you. God has given you a disempowered life. There's nothing you can do about it unless you cheat. The original lie. And, you know, we buy into that uh, still. We, we reach out uh, sinfully. When you feel like you can't or when you feel like you can't have, then you sometimes opt to get it by sinful means. You, you choose to get by sinful means what you don't think you can get otherwise. It's a great working definition for sin anyway. Uh, pornography is intimacy for the disempowered. Basically. It's a cheap way to get intimacy and excitement when you feel disempowered to get it in true and and godly ways. Or feel like I have to wait too long or it's just not working out. Well, God's disempowering you. Why don't you cheat? Money worship is power for those who can't find their place in the world. I want security. I want power to have. So really money is the thing that I'm going to serve. You know, can't rely on what God for stuff like that. I can't follow my purpose. I need to follow my career. I need to follow my money anxiety. That's a big sickness in the world. Anger is influence for those who feel disempowered to change situations, circumstances, or people. So you get angry. Because anger manifests as a very powerful thing, and everybody is afraid of it, and it makes you feel really powerful. You know, I sometimes get angry at God. That's how weird I am. But it's a way to sort of take power in that situation. It's a shortcut to feeling empowered. And, you know, anger can lead to a lot of sin and a lot of trouble. I think most emotional illnesses come from people trying to make themselves feel powerful by doing things that focus on feelings rather than focusing on actual situations and circumstances. You know, obsessions. You're obsessed with doing something. Or you have some sort of addiction. What's that about? Well, it makes you feel empowered. It makes you feel comforted. It makes you feel secure. It makes you feel like you have some structure. Unfortunately, it ignores other things that are happening. And that's a very down and dirty definition. But people really want to feel empowered. And sometimes they get crazy about the ways they go about getting the feeling. We can do all sorts of weird things to help ourselves feel empowered instead of just acting out in life and doing things that require power. Um, you know, we could, we could go on and on. Disempowerment is a, it's a, it's a serious thing uh, in the world. I want to spread an attitude of power. And I think this is why there are so many scriptures about power attitude or about what you could call power attitude. You know, throughout the Bible, particularly the New Testament, you get all these scriptures about powering you up attitudinally. You know, you have to approach things with an attitude of being powerful, realizing that you're moving in power. You have, to t- you have to make the power choice. One of them is in your program. I mean, there are so many. I just kind of chose one uh, that I think was typical and, and maybe familiar to a lot of you from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. 
but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That's not actually my favorite translation of that verse. The one I grew up knowing was um, God put in you the spirit of power, um, the spirit of a sound mind and self-control. Do you guys know that one? Uh, the NIV has changed its translation recently. Not all to the good, I feel, but, but this one works. You know, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, is what it used to read. God didn't give you an attitude of fear, right? That's not your spiritual attitude. That's wrong. You are not cautious. You are not careful. You are not timid. You are not weak. Well, what are you? Well, you're powerful. You have a strong mind. You have self-control or self-discipline. You can do it. You can do it. Can. That's the spirit God gave you. But if you're not on that, I can pretty much guarantee you that you're going through life like this. I don't even need to explain that, do I? It's hard to teach attitude, but it's the easiest thing in the world to catch, to communicate. You know, realize what this is about. The spirit, this godly attitude that we have. Uh, so that's one, but I mean, you know, there are tons of these, and you guys could probably uh, rattle them off as easily as I could. You know, Philippians 4.13 is a good one. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do what? Uh, I can! Can! No, no can! Can! That's my favorite translations of Philippians. Translation of Philippians 4. Um, I think that's what Paul was trying to communicate. Uh, John, 1 John 4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What is that? It's an attitudinal statement. That's a bumper sticker. In fact, I have seen it on a bumper sticker. I've seen it on lots of t-shirts. Why? It carries attitude. That's why. From Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? And you have to say it with a big posture, right? Because otherwise it doesn't make sense. If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? No one. We got this. That paragraph finishes off with, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Champions. World champions. Even the Cubs. Okay, I worked it in. But... More than conquerors. What's more than a conqueror? I don't know. If you're more than a conqueror, you are legitimately kick-ass. Shh, don't listen, honey. Johanna picks up all of her salty language from church. Uh, you know, you could throw in Acts 1.8. Um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes in you, you receive power to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The kind of power that I'm giving you guys, Jesus said to his disciples right before his departure, the kind of power I'm giving you is world-changing power. That's you. Uh-huh, I said it. And he probably said it with attitude. But Luke 24, the version of it, you will be clothed with power from on high. There's a lot of attitude in that statement. You don't receive that statement passively. You have to receive that statement like this. Yes! Power from on high. More than conquerors. All things. We got this. 
Thank you, wife. Ah. Attitude. I love sports for trash talk, for, for the trash talk that you see in sports. You know what trash talk is? You guys ever played competitive contact sports? You got to trash talk, right? When you make a smooth move, smooth move on the basketball court and you, you make the lay-in, what do you do to the guy that was defending you? It's okay. Good try. <laughs> no! That's not what you do. You make a move and you score and you're like, all day. That's me beating you all day long. You can't stop that. Right? That's the thing. I used to play football. Football was my sport. And you got is more. You play football because if you don't have the right attitude, you get your bell rung. You get knocked down when you play football. So you make a good tackle. You see those guys in the NFL, they make a tackle, and they've got the most ridiculous dances in the world, right? They've got the gorilla dance, they've got the tomahawk dance, and all these things. What are they doing there? That's, that's trash talk. That's winning with attitude. And in life, that's what you've got to do. You've got you to win with attitude. You've got to go into your office tomorrow morning, and you don't walk in hunched over a cup of coffee, no, you fling open the door and you say, yep, all day, all week, right here, right? You don't just send an email to your boss, you print it out. You walk in and you put it on her desk and be like, uh-huh. That's what you do. That's what you do. When you sit down in the lunchroom and you're getting into one of those, you know, criticism sessions and everybody's speaking, you know, all their kind of bonding, complaining nonsense, and you're like, not in my world, uh-uh. And they will respond well to that, actually, because everybody feels disempowered and it sucks for them. And if you bring a different attitude, you win. You win. And you might even gloat about it. You might say, no, 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 we're not bitching, sorry. We're... Today, in this house, we are blessing. I bless you, co-worker number one, because you, work, you look smashing in teal. I bless you, co-worker number two, because though I forget your name, I think it's awesome that you're here. That is attitude. And if you pull that off, then you have just huge open spaces to be salt and light. Everybody responds to you now, as opposed to you responding to all the crap around you. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Judge for yourself the social acceptability of some of the antics that I portray. But you have to be more like that than than not. Um, I need a drink. <clears throat> Somebody give me some attitude. Thank you. Mostly your attitude sucks, people. Come on. Blue Water Mission.
Uh, the reality is that power attitude releases power. Power attitude releases power in you, and your power attitude, because it's contagious, will release power in everyone around you. And everybody needs power because everybody has a purpose to live out, and you understand that down to the depths of your being. So it should really be reflected in your life. Do you spread power or do you spread disempowerment? Be honest. What do you think? Do you spread power or do you spread disempowerment with your presence? with your tone, with your behavior, with your words? What kind of attitude do you spread? Because I guarantee you, you spread one or the other in the world. So which one are you spreading? And of course, you want to spread an attitude of power. You know, think about aspects of power attitude, ways that you can spread it. We'll just get kind of practical here for a moment. The number one way I think that you spread power attitude is, is by engaging rather than disengaging. You have to engage with what's happening in the world around you. So if you're in the chair right now and, and you know, you're listening to me preach and you're sitting like this, what attitude are you spreading? Everybody's posture just got better. <laughs> right? What you're doing is that you're signaling as hard as you can disengagement. Why? Well, because that's safe and it's comfortable and it does give you a little bit of power. It says, I am the judge of what's going on around me, right? I'm a, I'm a consumer, I'm the customer, and the customer is always right. And most of us carry that attitude through the world. Now, if, if instead you're sitting, you know, like this, or, I don't know, in some way giving energy to the people around you, you're signaling engagement, and you're doing that while sitting. Imagine what you can do if you are standing, or if you were actually in conversation with someone. When you converse with someone, do you stand obliquely and look at the floor? Or do you look them in the eye? What spreads power attitude? Which one? What spreads disempowerment? What makes the person in front of you feel small? What makes the person in front of you feel big and powerful and important? Engagement is just so basic, you know? Do you show up late to everything? Or do you come a couple minutes early and smile? and add energy to the escapade. Engagement. Now, we are mostly, you know, me, Gen X, uh, and younger, and we are so cool as generations go, right? We are, before we're anything else, customers and consumers. We know everything there is to know uh, about, uh, you know, how to be smart consumers. And mostly in our culture, that's what we pride ourselves on being really smart consumers of products or of ideologies or even of religions. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna accept anything forced on me. You know, I'm, I'll take what I want. You know, I wanna keep my options open. And that's really uh, a weak form of power. That's the weakest form of power. That's the power of not committing to things not engaging with things. That's the sort of power that we all learn in seventh grade when you become too cool for school. When you start, you know, judging the cliques and stuff like that. The positive form is engagement, is commitment, is becoming a producer rather than a consumer, of uh, being a purpose person rather than a maybe I'll participate sort of person. So engagement uh, is a great way. Are you engaged or disengaged? Think of your presence exercise. You cannot, well, you will minister with your presence, but you can't minister well if you're disengaged. To minister with your presence, you have to be engaged. Now, I am an arch introvert. I am more introverted than you. I'm more introverted than you are. 
They say, the, the only people in the church that might have an argument with me are the Hamasakis. They know it. Are you more introverted than I am? Why don't you stand up and tell people, stand in front of the whole crowd, and just, oh, but I love, I love the Hamasakis. You know, and we, we, we bond very quietly. You know, Hamasakis. Um, but I'm, I'm an arch introvert. I am such an internal person that I often have no idea what's happening with my face. True that. My wife says, oh, that's true. That's totally true. Uh, I, I drive my wife nuts with this. I drive my wife nuts by appearing disengaged. You know, I'll just sit there and I'll go zombie. And she'll, she'll come by and she'll like, why are you angry? And I'll be like, there's a celebration in my head. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not angry. What, what, are you, what, are you, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, you're just sitting there. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm not. I'm just being. But Sonia is an extrovert, and she is never not interacting. Right? So if she walks into the room and I'm in zombie mode, she feels like I've dissed her. Right? That I am purposely disengaging from her. Can I get an amen from spouses who have this experience in their lives? Thank you. If people are weeping at this moment. It's like, oh, he's speaking to my heart. Um, I just, I ju so I just stay neutral too much is my diagnosis, right? When I'm neutral, I go zombie, and it communicates scary things in the world around me. So I have to be very careful about when I go neutral because as an arch introvert, that means I disappear entirely, and there's like this black hole that sucks in goodness or something. I don't know. Um, so I have to work really hard at engagement, you know, probably harder than you. So I have little rules. Some, some of you know that on a Sunday I have a rule. I have to hug 40 people. I, I love people. You know, I, I'm perfectly huggy, kissy person when it comes right down to it. But I have such finite energy that I have to discipline myself to do it. And then I get, you know, if I hug you, then I get the blessing of being in conversation with you for a little while. So that's 40 conversations on a Sunday. <laughs> but, you know, I have to do that to, to, to have power attitude. And, you know, we all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. Uh, so there you go. Uh, one of the, the advantages of, of my uh, makeup is that I can be having a crappy day and you don't necessarily know because it's so <laughs> internal, you know. And it's pretty easy for me to control uh, things emotionally because, you know, it never never comes out uh, unless uh, I make a choice for it to come out. No, no. Power versus cower is another way to think about this. Do you, do you show power or do you show cower? Do you, do you bring power or do you bring cower into the world? We say we're not afraid, but we often shrink away from uncomfortable things, uncomfortable conversations, uncomfortable chores. What, what is shrinking away? It's cower, right? It's like, well, you know, I'm not afraid. I'm not an anxious person. I'm just going to avoid things. <laughs> and that communicates attitude, a reluctance to do what you don't want to do, a reluctance to do what's risky or, or uncomfortable. You're cower. You're, you're cowering. It's cower attitude as opposed to can. I got this. I don't want to do this, 
I find this completely uncomfortable, but I'm not just going to do it. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to do it well because he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world because I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus because God didn't give me a spirit of cower. God gave me a spirit of power and self-discipline. I can make myself do anything I want to do because I got this attitude. And that spreads faster than anything else uh, about you. I need, to sh- I need you to share power attitude in the church, if you would be so kind. I need you to share it with the people around you. I need you to share it in your Ohana groups. I need you to share attitude more than I need you to share anything else. I need you to show up and to engage. I need you to show up on time. I need you to stride in like you own the place. I need you to find someone, look them in the eye, and tell them it's going to be okay. And I need you to do that every day. And if you do it, you will receive more than you give. I promise you. I need attitude because we're in the miracle working business. And faith attitude, power attitude is something that we need. I need you to do trash talk. I need you to do good trash talk. You know, when you're talking with somebody at church, you're talking to someone in Ohana group, and you're talking with someone at work, maybe someone who doesn't even believe. I need you to do trash talk. I need you to be ridiculously bold in what you say. It's like, ah, we got this. We can fix that. Oh, well, that sounds really important. I know God's paying attention. I wonder what he's going to do. Let me pray for you right now. We're going to figure it out. It's trash talk. That's you making bold claims. Not in this house. Trash talk. Somebody give me some trash talk. Bring it. All day. God's got this. We got little phrases that are really useful for for trash talk. Uh, A great phrase that we have at Blue Water is try. I don't know what to do. Try! That's awesome trash talk. Always be discipling. I'm going to disciple you right now. I'm going to throw down. Trash talk is really helpful. Uh, I need you to not shrink away from things. I need you to smile. This is really hard. My smile muscles are underdeveloped. I don't smile well. I have a world-class smirk. I can smirk like nobody's business. I can smirk you off your feet. But smiling is a little harder for me. So I, I really need uh, everyone to pitch in and, and to smile because it's a really powerful body language. On the count of three, everybody smile really hard at me, okay? One, two, three. That's, that's a smirk. Come on, come on, Seth. Bring it. Bring it. I felt, I felt the power. I felt this somewhere in heaven, a complete troop of angels just freaked out. Uh, You have to keep your attitude in shape just like you have to keep uh, your body in shape. You need regular attitude workouts. Uh, What develops and maintains the right attitude in your life is the act of practicing the right attitude. You don't get the right attitude by studying the right attitude. You don't get the right attitude by really rooting yourself in the truths of Christ. You don't get the right attitude by meditating on your identity in God. 
You get the right attitude by practicing the right attitude. All those other things are helpful in life. But unless you practice, you can't do it. Just like any athletic endeavor, you actually have to practice it. You have to bring it. Uh, so what are some ways to work out your attitude? I do posture exercises seriously. When I get up in the moment, there's always that moment of crisis where like, you realize I am too tired and I really don't want to do the things that are on my schedule today. Uh, so I'll walk into the living room, I'll drink, drink some water, and I will roll my shoulders, which is why I have you do it. And I will have this big picture window that looks out over uh, the valley. I'll often just stand there like that for a few moments. Ridiculous? There's actually a ton of research on this, that if you take what's called a power posture, if you stand like this or like this for two minutes, it increases your performance on, and they've measured it in all sorts of different activities, office activities, athletic activities. It will boost your performance, some people say up to 30% for the next two hours, just by taking a power posture. There are so many ways in which our bodies work against us. Why not use your bodies to help you, to help you attitudinally from time to time? So your body language, they say, is the most powerful part of your communication. So I communicate, you know, like that. And that's my self-talk. I got this. You know, I do that. I'm not a very verbal guy, so physical stuff uh, helps me quite a bit. Uh, I, I pre-formulate positive things to say because I'm an introvert and I never just speak spontaneously. Um, I pre-formulate things. Knowing scripture is a good way to do this. I rattle off some of my favorites. I'm more than a conqueror. It's great self-talk. I stole that from scripture. Uh, God did not give me a spirit of fear. God, God didn't make me a timid person. You know, I got this. That's really uh, a good reason uh, to read a lot of scripture. I worship. Why do we give 25 minutes to singing songs uh, to God and about God every Sunday when we get together. Because there's something about breath and vocalization, the act that we call singing or shouting, that really commits your spirit attitudinally. And if you're, if you're you know, worshiping just kind of like this, without your body, without any engagement, then it's not, it's not working for you. But there are very easy things that you can do to engage with the act of praise or thanksgiving that will shift your attitude and shift the attitude of the room and shift the attitude of all the spaces we travel into later today if you would only give yourself attitudinally to the worship that's going on. That's why so many of us are like this or clapping along or moving even if we don't quite have the beat. What we're doing there is an exercise in attitude. And you don't have attitude unless you practice it. So, hey, come on in and participate in that. It's going to be a huge blessing to the entire ohana, and it's going to be a huge blessing in your life as well. You need a good attitude group. You need to get into an ohana group. You need to get into one of our weekly small groups. This is not negotiable. You need a group. You totally do. And one of the big reasons that you need a group is because of the attitudinal input and exercise that it's going to uh, insinuate into your life. Uh, Ohana groups uh, are like, I thought of this this morning, Ohana groups are like CrossFit for attitude. <laughs> Two people are excited, everybody else is like, oh crap. <laughs> A big part of why I married Sonia uh, was 
because uh, I needed an attitude group. Uh, I'm naturally kind of low energy, kind of depressive, naturally acerbic, a little sarcastic. Seriously, I know, I know. It's hard to... Uh, uh, but, and Sonia is always positive, and she's just got such a natural, uh, natural, vibrant joy that I wanted that in my life. It's sort of an opposites attract thing. So I went and I got myself an attitude group. group? You're a group. You're my attitude Whoa! group. God help me. Uh, but here's, here's the biggie. biggie. Act, attitude must exercise itself in actions of follow-through. You have to follow through on the things that are important in your life. Otherwise, your attitude will die a twisted death. Your attitude has an expiration date on it. If you don't follow through on the purposeful things you know you should do, you will adjust your attitude so as not to be a hypocrite. You will pretend that you are disempowered in order to excuse your lack of follow-through in life. It's super important to follow through on the action steps that you give yourself when it comes to being salt and light, when it comes to being meaningful and purposeful and godly and influential in life. You have to follow through or you will inevitably develop an attitude of disempowerment. Practice, action releases attitude. Even if you follow through and fail, even if you follow through and embarrass yourself, your attitude will still benefit because you've practiced it, because you've worked it out. And workouts always bring strength. Um, do you or do you not always feel better once you work out? You always feel a little bit better. You don't want to go to the gym, but you always feel better after you go, right? So in a lot of ways in life, we don't want to have that salt and light conversation at work, but we always feel better when we do. Even if it didn't go well, even if you cramped up somewhere two-thirds of the way through the workout, if the conversation took a wicked left turn, you still feel better having worked out. You still, why do you feel better? Your whole attitude lifts. You, you realize you can do it. And that is worth pursuing, people. That's really life right there.